Real people. Real opinions. Real Talk Radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Let's get straight to it. And I'd mentioned a while ago that I'd watched a documentary where 12-year-olds were being used to mule drugs in and around the city centre. And people have been on the air and talked to us about children who had been groomed as young as 12, eight, nine years of age to carry drugs. And the reason they use children is quite obvious, by the way, because they're below the age of criminal responsibility. So they kind of get away with it or they think they can get away with it. But sadly for those children, it's not just that period of time that they're used for muling the drugs under the age of 12 and criminal responsibility. It goes on to a life of crime because they have been basically, I suppose, coerced into a life of crime, which invariably destroys their life. Uh, to talk to you a bit more about the new legislation that's proposed by Simon Harris to break that link between criminal gangs and children, I'm joined on the air by Nicola Talent, Investigations uh, Editor with The Sunday World. And also I will be talking to a local councillor in the area as well, Nolene Riley, the area specifically that we are talking about is Ballymun and Finglas, uh, because I did talk about that area before in relation to this. Nicola, firstly, just, just coming to you. I'm Firstly, before I start, I can say congratulations on the success of your podcast. And it just shows the intrigue and the way people have this huge interest in stopping this link to crime that we hear about constantly all the time. But firstly, the legislation, do you think it'll work? Do you think it'll do any good? I think that, you know, nothing is going to solve the problem, but I think it's going to add to what we have to fight this. You know, um, a lot of this gangland legislation, and it'll be part of that, has proved to be very helpful over the past, say, six to eight years since it started coming in, you see a lot of people being um, charged and convicted before the courts and put away for a number of years. And maybe, you know, they're they're lesser charges than, say, murder Mm -hmm. or directing criminal gangs. But nonetheless, they're actually taking people off the streets. They're disrupting and dismantling gangs as a result. Um, So it's all very useful. And See, it is is quite attractive for a young child, I suppose, when they see... You know, when you see have a young kid, and somebody described to me before a situation out in Drimna where you have young kids watching the local thief or criminal in the area who's on the dole but driving a Lamborghini. And for a young child, they look at them and they aspire to be that person. I'm going to have that Lamborghini someday. And maybe they fear there's no other hope or no other route to owning that Lamborghini or the flashy house or the nice clothes apart from selling drugs. Well, look, some of them certainly are attracted by the trappings of it, but others are drawn in through fear and threats. Um, You know, not everybody, I think, young person who gets involved in organised crime does so because they want a possession. Some Mm. of them maybe have been drug users themselves. Some of them owe deaths. There's all sorts of reasons that people are, are, kids are lured into it. uh, some of them are just terrified or some of them have are looking for a sense of belonging even, you know, into a gang. So complex reasons for it. And one, but, one of those complex reasons I wanted to come to is your own podcast, an intriguing uh, series, by the way, of 10 episodes. And this is the story of Joseph O'Callaghan. And I think for people listening, it would be better if you explain it in his words, because, of course, he was groomed. Now, ultimately, I mean, Joseph ended up on the Witness Protection Programme uh, because he gave testimony which helped to convict two drug-dealing gangs, or, or should I say gangsters for murder. But So how did this start off with Joseph, and what age was he? Well, his story is unusual, but maybe not unique. Um, and it was largely because he was sort of a kid who'd been moved out of his home, down into a new area, 
uh, where the family, I suppose, they didn't really know their neighbours and nobody was able to warn them that the milkman who offered him a job when he was 12 was actually a dangerous crime boss who was so this using is, this that. the milkman, I mean, it's something so innocent yeah. as the milkman, yeah. He was using it as cover for um, heroin deliveries and was becoming a serious contender in organised crime in an already very dangerous area. So that's what happened to him. He started off working and a bit like a sexual abuser, you know, he was forced into making his first drop of drugs through a letterbox and then that became the secret between him and the dealer, Brian Kenny, who was later convicted and is serving a life sentence for murder. Um, so, you know, it's a slow process sometimes, grooming. It can mm. be just, you know, a, a, a thing where the child believes that they have this secret that they can't tell anybody, that it's just between them and the person who's grooming them. They might do something they never would have before and then they feel they're trapped. There's no way back out of it. So to criminalise a child for that um, or a young person for that seems awful and that's what this legislation will change. It will decriminalise the child and criminalise the adult who, um, mm. you know, uh, you know, gave them the incentive to do that. Because Joseph, of course, was exploited sexually as well uh, and psychologically for years and eventually, obviously, as I said, he gave testimony against those people who did that to him. Now, as I said, he is one of the youngest people, I think, in Ireland to enter the Witness Protection Programme. And there are so many children across this country who've entered a life of crime because, essentially, they are being groomed by older people. And is it primarily that they use these children because they're below the age of criminal responsibility and they know they can get away with it? Well, I mean, you know, there's, it's, it's like it's the entry point jobs, isn't it, within the drug dealing network. It's the delivering, it's the holding of the, the drugs. Older criminals don't want to physically hold too much in case they're caught with them. They will use stash houses. They will use kids to move them from the stash house to, say, mm. for example, the, the, the drug buyer. Um, that's on the kind of lower level of things. And then on the higher level, you know, if there's a murder or a hit being planned, um, you know, it's, it's a very high-risk occupation within organised crime to pull the trigger. Um, you know, to transport the gun, to hold the gun, those kind of jobs are often, you know, given to lower members who um, whose lives are dispensable to the, the, the drug bosses. They don't care if they're caught, if they're jailed or whatever. So it's a, it is a really kind of a large and complex problem. Um, but it's one that hasn't been addressed at all before now. I mean, I found from Joey's story, and I got very deep into that, that really... If he hadn't, he ultimately was asked to sort of form part, you know, to cover up a murder that Brian Kenny and his co-accused Thomas Hinchin killed a chap called uh, Jonathan O'Reilly. And they asked Joey to hide the gun, to hide the motorbike, to destroy their clothes, to destroy the evidence. He didn't. He hid all of those things and he basically escaped, went back to his mother who brought him to the guards. If he hadn't had his mother to go back to her, his family, because he actually was from the very close family, supportive family um, where would he have gone I often wonder if he didn't have them to go to he would have probably stayed with Brian Kenny until he was killed himself you know in the days and weeks before he made his escape he was forced to stand in a field while Kenny shot at him he heard bullets yeah. whistling past his ears you know he, he was terrifying and terrorising him completely and utterly in order for him to keep control over him but um, 
It's it's we intriguing, it's shocking, and it's sad. And listening to the podcast, which I said it goes over a series of ten episodes, and and by the way, the, the podcast for people who haven't heard it is in Joseph's own words. Uh, he is the one actually telling the story, and it's just an incredible podcast to listen to how a child can be basically, you know, it can be brainwashed into this life of crime, and that's essentially what you're doing. You're brainwashing a child into this life of crime. It's just, And terrifying them, as you rightly said, as well. It is, it's just incredible to listen to. But I wonder, like, as a society, do we provide anywhere for kids to go who are maybe trapped within similar circumstances and don't have a supportive family? Because, of course, in the beginning with grooming, a lot of the dealers, the criminals, will target vulnerable kids who don't have a parent coming asking questions, coming looking for them at night. You know, a kid maybe with a, um, a troubled background. So where do they go and what do we provide mm. for them? Because within that world, you know, going into a guard station and spilling your guts isn't a usual thing to do. Um, and I know there's plenty of community groups out there and it has to be something provided within a community uh, because, um, you know, the best for anybody mm. is, is somebody from within their community. So we've a whole lot of work to do. Um, but this legislation really is the start of something. Um, I don't think it's going to put anybody off trying to groom a kid. If you're a, a, an organised crime boss, you're, you're not really going to care about the possibility of five years in prison or the shame of you know, being accused of such a thing. But it is part of the armoury of the state and of the guardie to, if they can't get a criminal on one thing, more, it's something else the they can more, use. It's something else, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which, just in relation to that, I, I just want to come, if I can, as well, to Councillor Nolene Riley, who's been listening to that whole thing. And Nolene, mm. of course, you're very representative in the areas that I suppose have come up in the news quite a lot in relation to this. And I'm not suggesting, by the way, it's primarily in Ballymun or Finglas or Cherry Orchard or Ballyfermot or whatever it happens to be. But primarily, it, it does seem to be working class areas that this happens more so in. You've been listening to what Nicola's saying in relation to the legislation that, look, it's not going to stop things, it's not going to set the world on fire, but maybe it might help. What's your feeling on it? Um, look, it's, it's something that we didn't have before now, and it's, it's certainly badly needed. It's only going to work if we put the resources into it. And at the moment, um, Garda numbers are depleted, and they have been, haven't been restored since. And the recession back in 2008 and we're seeing really the effects of that in, in communities and particularly working class communities so it's great bringing in this piece of legislation but unless you're going to bring in additional Gardaí and Pacific Gardaí around this area then it isn't going to work. We see street dealing from young people every single day, open street dealing and there's no resources there to tackle this so I'd like to know what's going to happen, what resources are they going to bring in, will we have additional Gardaí? Because if they don't, as I said, it's not going to work. I mean, so essentially what you're saying is the community guard, the guard who's the first point of contact, I suppose, the one that's called, going to call to the door, who has a concern about the direction that your son or your daughter may be heading in. Yes, absolutely. Um, community guard numbers are way down, and that's something that we do need. People do not see Gardaí walking on the beat anymore. And I think that would be a huge deterrent mm-hmm. if we did. Um, walking about, like, I don't even know the name of my local community guard because it's consistently changing all the time. And I'm a local councillor, so you can imagine how the community feel about that. It's not, it's not good enough. And in terms of when we get new recruits from Temple Moor, they just seem to be split everywhere and 
every Garda station gets a couple, but that's only replacing retirements. And less and less people are wanting to join up to the Garda forces because of the working conditions that are there. So there needs to be a whole overall of that system for this type of legislation to actually work. I think think policing, and I'll ask you both this, I think policing has changed over the last 40 years to something that was very community-based when you go back 40 years ago. Everybody knew this, right? When I was a kid, I knew the names of the local guards that would walk the beat, Smiley and the Knight Rider, we called them because he had a bike. And we, we knew their names. But I think policing now, I suppose, Nicola, has become quite clinical in the sense that it's just about an operation. Everything is an operation or an investigation. I don't think the, the communication with the community is the same as it used to be. And I think that's a problem, isn't it? But organised crime has grown to levels that are just extraordinary. I mean, this is a threat of, on society and on the security of the state, as, as it has been shown before. We're currently dealing with narco-terrorism, which we weren't before. The policing is really just one element of response to the problem, and it can't be seen as the only one. You know, police are, of course, there's improvements that can be made within policing, but there's other first responders there, like healthcare, like education, people in, working in education and social care, etc., and those community groups. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, if you want to see more funding that might actually... Like, policing is reactionary, really. Yeah. You know, you're reacting to a problem that is there, um, and you but, know, but, it, but policing should also be protective in the sense that stopping things before it actually happens, or having inside information to things to try and you know stop it before it even starts. That's part of policing too, isn't it? It will be as much as as much as it can be. There's only a certain amount. There's only a finite amount policing can do for the problem as well. You know what I mean? It's to try and I mean to try and tackle and what we're talking about, which is the young people being groomed into crime gangs. Mm-hmm. It's a far bigger problem than police. This legislation is just giving police an extra tool in their armament uh, I mean, against I'm, it. But yeah. it's really it's really more a social issue. And, um, and, that, and that's what I wanted to ask Nolene. Nolene, in relation to, say, the local areas, uh, and not just the areas that you represent, but other areas too, where this kind of uh, narco-terrorism or this kind of criminality and this kind of luring of young people into criminality is going on, is there not a level of responsibility on the community as well? Because time and time again, you know, people are saying, well, I'm not going to say anything or I'm not going to say anything because if I do, I'm the one who gets targeted. Then, and then people are afraid to say anything or they, they, you know, there's always an elephant in the room. They know the guy down the road who's dealing drugs, but nobody ever says anything. Is there an element of that, of that fear? Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's a number of stakeholders here, as Nicola said, that need to be part of this process. And like we see vulnerable children all the time getting caught up in this type of activity. And it's starting from a very young age. You could nearly tell a four or five. And that's really sad that that child is going to end up that way. And there's, I suppose, social services to let all of that have a huge role to play here in terms of vulnerable children. It's not always the vulnerable child. But in a lot of cases, it can be. And there is a huge community response in terms of, um, I suppose, getting this type of activity dealt with. But as you said, people are terrified. These guys have no problem smashing up people's houses, intimidating people, none whatsoever, because in many cases, they're getting away with it. And why are they getting away with it, do you think? 
because people are afraid to report it to the Gardaí in case there's further retaliation. And isn't, isn't that a problem in itself, that if you have a situation or a community that are afraid to report crime to the Garda Síochána, well then the Garda Síochána, clearly in that area, are not doing a good job because they, they in turn should be protecting people who give them information. When I say protecting, protecting the community as a whole. So they don't have that fear. Yeah, absolutely. And um, people are terrified around any of this. Um, I, I, I think people try and put their heads down and pretend in many cases it's not existing un- until it affects them personally. Um, and I, I think people are just going about their daily, their daily business just trying not to get involved. But if we really want to tackle all of these issues and protect young people into the future, then we do need everyone on board in terms of this. Our youth clubs are playing a fantastic role in the area in terms of I suppose trying to protect kids, trying to stir them in the right direction, but only they can do so much as well. I mean, when you when you listen to particularly the podcast, The Witness, uh, that Nicholas put out, I mean, when you listen to this story of Joseph Callahan, who is just one person, by the way, there is many Joseph Callahans all over the country, in his own words, somebody, I mean, Nicola, along that, that long road, somebody must have spotted the signs I know you're saying, you know, it's their secret together because it was him and the milkman who was helping him or telling him to deliver the drugs to the letterbox, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, at the very start. But somebody must spot those signs. You know, and normally in a normal situation, it would be a parent, hopefully, that would spot those signs. But surely somebody else spots those signs. Well, sometimes they can. And maybe, you know, within certain services, they, an individual will spot signs and an individual may go and try and alert somebody and there could be somebody in in charge or in management that doesn't do what they should do you know we're constantly reliant of good and bad in every occupation there's people who are you know brilliant at their jobs and just you know some who aren't and that's life but i think in the case of joey it was a very complex case of grooming and it's probably not the norm there was a lot of elements to it that went on. But, you know, when you delve in and you try and, you know, you try and untangle it all, there is a lot of those issues that are there for, for kids. There was alcoholism background in the family. There was, um, you know, there was some sexual abuse when he was a child. There was that so he was neglected as a child, yes. Well, I wouldn't say yeah. he was neglected. And abused. But he, he, he certainly, there was issues within the family. Um, you know, at, at a particular period. And I think a simple thing like moving out of a community, he was from Ballymun, which, you know, had a, people had a lot to say about Ballymun back in the day, but in the end of the day, it was a really good community. And when he was living in Ballymun, um, they mightn't have had everything, but they did have good neighbours and good friends and all the rest of it. And, you know, you make a move at a particular time into a new community that isn't settled. I mean, it was Blanchetown he moved to, there was, everything was new in it, all the housing was new, and that sense of community and neighbourhood hadn't built up there. So as I said, when, when this body calls to the door, where's the neighbour that's knocking to tell his mother, listen, keep him away from him? It didn't exist, you know, so it was kind of like a cluster of mm. different things happened, and that's, probably the case for every yeah, I, I, every I, child. And no, Noli, just in relation to somebody sent a text and said, no, I think it's unfair to suggest that it's just working class areas. Now, I know you represent Ballyfit, Mun and Finglas, and we've talked to about Ballyfarm before and what happened out in Cherry Orchard with the Garda car being uh, chased around by young people, etc., etc. But 
is it unfair to say it's working class areas? Because realistically, and I know I don't have the stats here, you know, on how many people are groomed, how many children are used in crime or how many, you know, convictions there are for young children in relation to crime. But I, I think it would be fair to say that they target working class areas. I don't know if this is happening, you know, on the level uh, in Dockey or Malahide or, or any of the more upmarket areas of the country. Yeah, I don't think it's an unfair comment at all to say, <clears throat> excuse me, that it's happening in, in working class communities. They are targeted, as you said, and if it is happening in other communities, then we're not hearing about it. Um, so I suppose we can only go on, on the evidence that we have. Mm. And I rep- the, the areas that I represent, um, which have, have all sorts of, of, of different incomes um, in that area, it, it, it's the ones where... I suppose the most disadvantaged live that this is happening the most. Mm-hmm. And, and Nicola, from your experience, I mean, is this kind of thing happening in, you know, middle to upper class areas? Is it happening in Dockey or Blackrock or Malahide or Port Marnock or, or the more middle to upper class areas? I can tell you for a fact it's not. I mean, it's just not happening in, in areas of privilege. It's happening in underprivileged areas where people and children are at a disadvantage. Of course, the, the, the primary sort of caregivers are the family. And there's no difference when it comes to where you live. If you have a good family, if you have good parents who are out, you know, you know, fighting for you, I suppose, in the world and setting in stone your morals and the decisions you make, brilliant. But unfortunately, in, in working class areas and underprivileged areas, you have a lot of trauma, you have a lot of people with addiction problems, maybe people without the parenting skills, you have a, certainly a higher percentage of that um, than you probably have. Mm. But look, there isn't drug gangs kicking indoors, dragging children out of beds and doggy to go out and to take up a gun and kill somebody. That's a fact. And I can't understand the intelligence of people who waste the time on a public forum to ring in with stupid comments like that. Um, you know, it's. I mean, these are facts, and we have to face up to them. To turn the debate into, um, you know, it's not fair to be saying this about this place, this place. It's fact of the matter is that there are certain parts of this city and this country where it's far more likely that your child is going to be targeted than if you live in another area. Mm. I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at some of the text coming in, and people are very, very intrigued by the whole thing, and obviously hopeful that this would be, you know, would make things a little bit better. I, I know you don't have a huge amount of faith in us, Nicola. I, I, I think you think anything is better than nothing, but maybe not a huge amount. No, of faith. I actually, I actually think that communities in certain parts of this country, in this city, are fighting a war they can't fight on their own. There was a time when parents were able to get out and march on the homes of drug dealers where communities were coming together to try and protect their children from people, you know, like that, predators within their communities. I remember, I remember those marches back in the 80s, and it was yeah. the 1980s, yeah. People confidently said they were going to stamp this out and believed it. People are tired in those communities. They've been fighting a war on their own for too long. They're not able to fight it on their own anymore. So everything that is brought together, every little piece, you know, of defence we have, be it for police, for community workers or whatever. It's up to us all as a society now to fight this, not for communities to fight it on their own. It's just simply not fair that you live in one particular area and, you know, you have nothing to do with the war on drugs. It's just not like that anymore. Organised crime is a global phenomenon. Um, There's a massive cocaine problem in this country. It's 
absolutely fueled by demand and there's people out there taking it who are funding all of this and you know that is some perhaps somewhere where there's a marketing campaign to be brought in to attach some shame to that and you know it's worked before with drink driving and other issues you're not going to convince everybody but to to have a, a shift in attitudes towards the casual taking of drugs Mm -hmm. would help enormously. Uh, And I couldn't agree with you more because there are so many young people now. I've heard young people on the air even talk to us saying it's cheaper to go out on a weekend or a night out uh, and take cocaine than drink alcohol. And that's a sad reflection in society where it's cheaper for them to have a good time on cocaine. And let me be clear about it, it's not a good time, as you rightly pointed out, for the dangers not only for your own health, uh, but also the dangers to society because you are fueling and marketing this type of criminality. But look, it's been intriguing talking to both of you. uh, And listen, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Uh, I'm well done, by the way, Nicola, on the podcast. It's an absolutely wonderful listen for many, many reasons. When I say obviously not wonderful on the side of happiness, but certainly to listen to the the intrigue and how this job is actually done and how and what grooming actually is. And I know just to mention as well, you do have a live show coming up on April the 27th in the Olympia Theatre and it's called A Crime World Presentation with Nicola Tallon. Nicola, what, what can they expect from that, by the way? Well, the theme of it is Omerta, which is obviously very uh, prevalent at the moment. Yeah, of course, in the courts. Golden, yes. yeah. golden rule of the underworld that you don't tell on another person no matter what. So it's a kind of an audio-visual experience, I suppose, along with the live pod- stage podcast. Mm. Um, yeah, we'll be delving into what Omerta is, where it originated, what it means. I found I found your podcast more recently, uh, the Jonathan Dowdell and all that kind of stuff. I found it very, very intriguing to listen to. I have to say, and Amortha comes into that quite a lot, actually. Absolutely, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Thank you very much indeed, Nicola. Thank you very much. Okay, Thank you. There you go, Nicola Talent and uh, Investigations Editor with The Sunday World. And again, that podcast, if you want to go and check it out, is called, oh, I lost off my screen there, The Witness in His Words. And uh, it is a shocking, shocking story, but it's a serious, uh, and uh, there's 10 episodes, I think, and it's absolutely wonderful to listen to to listen to him recount the whole thing in his own words. He now is the youngest person, by the way, to go into the Witness Protection Programme in Ireland. Anyway, I want to know how you feel about it. Do you firstly feel that your children are safe? Because we're, we're hearing so many conversations about children being lured into crime in these areas. Uh, and, you know, as Nicola pointed out, somebody texted in and said, no, uh, you shouldn't be using the term working class areas. Nicola's right. That's not the, it's not the time for that part of the debate. It, the facts are quite consistent. It's not really happening in Dawkey. It's not really happening in Malahide. It's not really happening in Black Rock. It may happen every now and again, but it's not really happening. It's not prevalent to the point that we need to talk about it on the radio, in a public forum. What we're talking about are areas that are socially deprived, underprivileged, and that's what she says. When you're underprivileged, there's a problem. And the problem in that particular area is you have a lack of employment. You've got parents who will struggle to raise their children, who may not raise them as they should, but I, somebody has mentioned here, Niall, nobody at any point in the last 40 minutes, it hasn't been 40 minutes, in fairness, it's been 25, has mentioned the parents and their role in this. I have a 12-year-old child and I've been listening to Nicola talking. There is no way that I wouldn't spot the signs of my 12-year-old child was being groomed by a drug dealer. They, these parents have nobody to blame but themselves. Now, in fairness, there wasn't in this particular case that Nicola was talking about primarily. That wouldn't have been the case. But yes, to some degree. Um, and why is it these parents are allowing their children to get involved in drugs, allowing their children to get involved in criminality? We've seen the scenes recently in Cherry Orchard, Nile and Ballymun, where the Garda car was stoned. 
There were parents out on the street while their young kids were terrorising the Garda Sheikana. That wouldn't happen with my 12-year-old because firstly, they wouldn't be out after 9 o'clock at night in the dark throwing stones at the Garda Sheikana. And if they did, they'd be grounded for months. So what role do the parents play, Noel? It's a fair point. You know what I mean? He's got a point. Uh, the number is 087 I've got a quick voicemail here that I want to play for you just before I go into the break as well. So it's 087 Um Let me just play this one here from the top. We can a bit of play for me. It's always a bit slow to play, aren't they? Well, there you go. I hear what that woman is saying, and she's absolutely correct. Uh, it does go on much more in working class areas than it would be in uh, more affluent areas but that doesn't mean that the drugs aren't in the affluent areas the thing is it's highlighted in working class areas the only thing i'd like to say is just because uh, youngsters live in a working class area it doesn't mean to say they do not have good parents in you know in a lot of instances their parents are as good as any other parents and they do their absolute best for them and um, it's when they go outside, it's when they start to be groomed. It's when they're outside and uh, that's where the grooming goes on and the grooming gets out of hand and you find yourself with your door getting kicked in and everything. A lot of the times it's not the parents. The parents do their absolute best for them and working parents in working class areas. It's just it happens to be when it's in these areas and they go outside, the grooming starts. And really, that has got to be addressed because there's some lovely children getting dragged into this and families and uh, their lives are getting destroyed, which is which is not fair and really not acceptable. All right. OK, people are making it about, you know, working class areas versus middle class to privileged areas. And again, I point out that shouldn't be part of the conversation, but certainly it is becoming part of the conversation. But we are talking about the new legislation proposed by Simon Harris, which, well, they're trying to put an end and break the link between criminal gangs and children. And it's called Fagan's Law, by the way. And the reason, in case you're wondering why it's called Fagan's Law, is to do with Oliver Twist. You remember Fagan, who enlisted and enrolled all those young children from the orphanage to go around stealing for him. Uh, so essentially, that's why it's called Fagan's Law. And, and it's probably a good name because it really is very descriptive. But I suppose, what's it like in your area? And who do you think primarily the responsibility lays with? The state to protect young children from being groomed into drugs and crime? Is it the community to stop it? The local youth centre? The schools? Or ultimately the parents? And as that, as Anne, I think was, mentioned there, your 12-year-old, you know, you can protect them while they're in the house, but when they're outside, how can you stop it? Or should you always know where they are when they're 12 years of age? Classic Hits Radio. All right, loads of text coming in. Somebody says, by the way, that Milkman was the most horrific, frightening podcast I've ever heard. It was brilliant. Uh, so hard to believe that it was Ireland, but it was all so well done. Nicola Talent was excellent on it, as was Joey's mother at the end, who actually gave an account in her words. I can't come on the show. Just wanted to say, and that comes in from Liz in Thurless. Um, some of your WhatsApp messages just before I come to Mark as well. Just play this one here for you. If I can, it'll play for me. Here we go. See, the issue with the, having it in working class areas and middle class or what you call posh areas, in the middle class area, they just ring the police and then the people that say, ah, oh, he's a great community person. Mm. But if you've done that in a working class area, full sure you're a rat, you're going to get your tyres slashed. If you ask your neighbour, any chance you cut your head or something like that, they'd, uh, 
probably break your mirrors of your car, where you would, if, if you asked your neighbour and hoped, you'd probably cut the hedge and make a bouquet of it and leave it in your front garden. <laughs> you see, that's the difference between middle class and working class areas. Okay, so people work better together and with each other, is what you're trying to say, in the community and in uh, privileged areas. Let me go to Mark. Mark, you're on Ireland's Classic Kids Radio. How are you doing, Mark? Good, Niall, yourself. <laughs> They'd cut your hedge and make a bouquet out of us. Yeah, that's a good one, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Mark, in relation to, you know, whose responsibility ultimately is it to stop children getting involved in a life of crime? Whose responsibility is it ultimately? Well, it's the government's responsibility, isn't it? At is the it? end of the day, uh, well, look, it's, well, look, we can throw it on the parents. Well, yeah, I suppose the parents' responsibility, but they, we need to have a system in place to deter young people, and we need to have a system there that, um, is telling young people that this is not a way forward, you know. But mm. if you look at the young kids today going around the city centre and going not just city centre around, and they're all wearing the best of gear and they all think it's a great life because it's easy money. They're they're wearing, you know. I'd imagine if you go into, um, I heard the story that if you go into Brown Thomas on a Tuesday, it's probably one of the busiest days because they're going in buying all their, you know, their fancy stuff and all that. So they're looking at it as a great life, um, and that they're not. Um, they're, that they're, they're making money from it and, and and I will tell you you can say what you want Noel. I know this for a fact there are people out there and their parents are making money from it and they know their sons and daughters are at it are doing it and the parents are making money and the parents are getting the windows done in the house are getting the floors done in the house and saying oh he's great isn't he he works as an electrician apprentice and he's, he's throwing me money here there and everywhere you know and they know the you know, son is involved in criminality oh yeah they yeah. know they know they where he is and yeah. they know and, and they'll deny it but they know for a fact that their kids are actually making money from it and they'll just pretend not to know and they say, oh, I don't know. Well, 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 well then, when you say it's the state's fault or the state's responsibility, I believe the state's responsibility probably to pick up the pieces afterwards and have good legislation yeah. that puts people in jail, you know, if they're caught. But, uh, but ultimately, do you not think then, then say then it's the parents' responsibility? If indeed well, there is, is parents in the loop. Well, it, yes, yes and no. Yes, it is, I suppose. But let's be honest, Noel, not every kid is raised the way you think they're raised. But they should be. Oh, come here. They should I mean, be. Do, every, do you have kids, man? Uh, no, every ki- I have two lads, right? But every kid should be should be out there doing a job, and every kid should be uh, behaving themselves. But it doesn't happen everywhere, you know? And it is down to sometimes... Like, every child should be getting a, a proper dinner, having a breakfast in the morning, but that doesn't happen in every place because the parents haven't been taught how to do it, came from dysfunctional backgrounds. And I'm not saying, saying that that's... that's you know, an excuse for everything. But but if your but if your twelve year old is you know hooked up with a local drug dealer and dropping drugs off in the local area into letterboxes yeah. or whatever yeah. it happens to be, or passing them around or muling a kilo of drugs, you know, in a school yeah. bag somewhere, you should know about it as a parent. Oh oh yeah, absolutely. But why I'm saying that to you is, say for example, you have a parent that's an alcoholic or whatever, and the the kid is throwing mummy or daddy a few balls for a drink and the whole, and they don't have the same social they don't have the same social understanding as the rest of us. Do you understand? I'm not saying, mm. I'm not trying to make excuse for people with bad behaviour and that are just that. But you think that it's it's as easy as everybody's. Do you, do you understand that everybody, you think that this is the way to raise a child, everybody doesn't raise their child like that. No, I know, there's no certain, book. Yeah. You go to, no, you will not. You go into certain neighbourhoods and you certain neighbourhoods and their kids are going to school and their kids are going to go and do college and they're going to do this and going to do that and they just get on with it. You go to other neighbourhoods and it's a struggle. You know what I mean? Now, I, I know what my lads did as they were growing up, and I was always. Did you know when they were 12 years of age? Did you know, did you know where they were every minute of every know, day? I did know where they were, and I told them. As did I with my three children. Pardon? Well, yeah. I, yeah, and I, I told knew them where they were. 
if you bought, if you bring a guard to my house, my door, oh, I blame you. I won't. I don't want to hear what the guard has to say. I'm blaming you. That yeah, is. that was that was always the thing. Remember years ago, your mother would say, oh, "He's a wonderful lad." Never brought the guards to the door. That was always it. It was an Irish thing to say, it was a, wasn't it? It was true. And my parents told me the exact same thing. I don't care what happens if a guard comes to that front door. You're wrong. I'm not going to believe you over the guard. That's simply it. And that's so you okay. never came to the door. Well, you never went down that road. You know what I mean? Because. We had my parents were different. My parents raised us in a certain way. Same with my wife's parents; they did the same. But some parents are not like that. Do you understand me? And where where are you from originally, Mark? Where did you come from? Uh, the Crumlin area. Okay, and there would have yeah. been a lot of crime in Crumlin, you know, in, in your day when you were a young fella. Absolutely, yeah. there would have been a lot of crime. But well, I tell you now, there was a lot of crime in the area. But there was a lot of kids in the area that didn't get involved in crime, and their parents were very respectful, Absolutely. And good, upstanding people of the community, and they chose the path to bring their kids a different direction and made sure that the kids didn't go a different direction. Okay, well, would you be a favour? Hold, hold on there just for a second because I want to go to Breda as well. Breda, you're an Ireland's classic. It's radio. How are you doing, Breda? Hi, Niall. How are you? How are you? Now, Breda, you live in Maynooth, and, which yeah. I suppose is a satellite town of Dublin, really, realistically now. Um, and I as far as you... No, don't do that. I'm a lily white. Don't even go there. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> so you, you, you believe there's drugs everywhere? Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, Minota University Town, and I've been told for a fact that if I wanted something tomorrow, certain people could make a phone call and you could have it in five minutes' time. So it, it's, not, it's not related just to working-class areas. It's, it's, it's in every rural town. It's, it's rampant. It's everywhere, Niall, unfortunately. And, and unfortunately, and with, with drugs comes criminality because somebody has to provide it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, like, it's just... It's like... It's like when we went in and got your company bag of sweets as a kid. That's what that's what it's equivalent to now. It's just there's so much. But I but, but so people are saying this to me all the time, Brida. But I if I wanted cocaine right now, right, uh, you know, yeah. during the ad break, whatever it is, five or six minutes, yeah. I wouldn't know who to ring or what to say or what to do or where to go. I, I I assume I could walk down probably onto the boardwalk or Collins Street and pick it up off somebody because I see them openly doing it down there. But I wouldn't know who to ring. I mean, so where do they? Where do young people particularly get this information through the well, colleges? I you're saying? Well, I mean, like they, you know, the, when Freshers Week came started in Manu this year, it's like the, the guard presence was phenomenal, and I think they were putting out a message, you know, to say we're going to tolerate any kind of antisocial behaviour including selling drugs or whatever else. But, I mean, my, all you have to do is ask somebody. You know, like, there's always somebody in your group that would probably know somebody that they can make a phone call to get whatever it is they want. I don't know how they do it. I have, and, and, of course, we, we, you know, with drugs brings criminality into the area. And have you noticed an increase in crime in the area, particularly with young people or the behaviour, antisocial behaviour? Oh. No, I have... I'm, Unfortunately, we're losing your line there, Breda. I do, I do apologise. Sorry, we've lost we've lost Breda's line. Nikita, you're on Ireland's Classic Kids Radio. How are you doing, Nikita? How are you doing, Nikita? There's more to go on in the background there, is there? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> uh, life, Nikita, as a parent, isn't it? <laughs> so you used to work in a shop in Navin. Yeah, I used to work in a shop on Talbot Street. Oh, Talbot, okay. Yes. And there used to be little guys, about nine, Parents and properly have to, there has to be somebody to step in. Social services, 
Gardy have to be somebody because parents, not every parent can do the job to me, and that is just the reality. So, so, so you you believe it all? A lot of it stems back to the parents, the control of the parents. Oh yes, oh yes. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. well I tell you what, Nikita, Nikita, I let you go there. You have your hands yes. full in the background there. It's all right. It's always the way. As soon as you go on the phone, they go bonkers in the background. It used to happen to me all the time when my kids were small. Let me go to Phil very quickly if I can as well before the break. Phil, you're in Ireland's Classic Kids Radio. How are you, Phil? How are you? Good, Phil. It's a very serious situation where we have to bring in legislation to stop 12-year-olds being involved in crime because they're being groomed, essentially. But, Noel, as you said in my voice message, it comes back to, to the fact that there's no discipline for the youth today. They have no respect for authority. There's no respect for adults. There's no respect for anybody. Um, and it, it stems across all walks, not just in drug dealing. Like I, was, I was parked uh, behind five taxis there last week, and about about five or six uh, lads walked past, only about 10, 12 years of age. And from across the road, they threw a full can of Red Bull unopened and it smacked the side of the taxi of it, left a big dent in the door, and they, they literally stood there more or less laughing because they knew nothing could happen to them, you know? Yeah, yeah. So there's the, the kind of bravado as well, knowing that nothing can happen. I, but, you, but you have to wonder, you know, those kids, you know, they're not born bad. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, you're right, they're not. And, Again, it does come back to the parents then as well. Like that, you should know where your kids are. You should know who they're hanging around with as well. You know. Um, well, it is who they're hanging around with, and, and and essentially, sometimes older people or adults going. And we've heard of adults going literally to school gates to encourage children to get involved in drugs. I would not say. And again, one of the biggest seven points for them would be: I should look if you get caught, what will happen to you? Like they don't even get a mark on the criminal record unless no. something very serious, does it? No. Like, I think I think the, the system itself needs to change. I think if these kids or young teenagers see that they're going to get punished if they break the law, well then, surely that will stop them from wanting to break the law, you know? Because I see a huge problem here. We're, we're seeing a huge increase in criminality when it comes to drugs and drug dealing over the last 30 years, you know, in a generation. And when you see the behaviour of many young people now in around, particularly around the city centre or working class areas, as we said already, you know, the social problems... You imagine what it's going to be like in another generation because they're going to be adults. As I said, we going from my walking class area from from Jonestown, and when we when, when I was growing up, like we wouldn't. I know it's different now, and obviously uh, it's a generational thing; it's all changed. But yeah. like we had respect for the authority. We had a community guard that came around, and he was a friendly guard. And like, real people, real opinions. Real Talk Radio, the multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show.